There are lots of things written online about narcissistic personality disorder. And if you're in a relationship with somebody where you think they have that, it can be overwhelming and scary. Or if you're a husband and people around you think that you have it, it's hard to be seen in such a negative light and wonder if there is something wrong with you. Today, I want to dissect and unpack what this is because there's so much information out there that can actually cause more harm than good. So I want to share with you another way to look at this that can actually give you a sense of hope that change is possible and that you actually can have the relationship and the personal growth that you've wanted, but it all comes down to having the right information. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. My name is Sam Tielemans. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm the host of the Couples Healing Podcast. And my goal is to give you as much help as I possibly can as you navigate this very difficult road of struggling to overcome pornography use, the betrayal and the hurt that it causes a spouse, and help you restore your relationships so you can move forward with closure, leaving this issue behind you. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode was because I had a conversation with somebody, and his wife was seeing a different therapist and she was working individually with this other person and in those sessions she reported some of the exchanges that they had her and her husband and the therapist said oh that sounds like narcissistic personality disorder sounds like he has this and i first number one i have a big issue with people diagnosing somebody that they never even met yet just on the report of somebody else, oh, that person sounds like they have this. Yeah, I just, I really don't think it helps anybody to, to, again, diagnose somebody that you've never even met yet and you don't understand the situation and you don't really understand the inner workings of why somebody does what they do. And so the reason why this was, again, struck me as an episode to do is because as a result of that conversation with her therapist, her wall went up even higher. Because the idea that, okay, well, my husband might be a narcissist, therefore, I really need to protect myself. I really need to keep my distance. I need to set very, very strong boundaries. And that label, unintentionally, I don't think the therapist had any malice when they were doing this, but I think unintentionally, it actually caused more damage in their relationship. Because think about it. If you are in a relationship with a narcissist, that creates a total lack of safety and distrust and the wall goes up even higher due to the label. The behaviors, its I think it's really, and this is what I shared with the person that I was having a conversation with. I think what I like to work with people is I wanna break things out into what are observable behaviors. Instead of using labels, what's the observable behavior and how do we work with that? Because this particular wife felt overwhelmed by the label and said, well, my husband has narcissism it's a personality disorder, which feels very, very permanent. Therefore, I've got to protect myself. And it caused more division in the relationship. I really don't like this label because it doesn't take into account why somebody does what they do. And that is one of the biggest factors when it comes to creating change. Because if you don't understand the root cause of why somebody does what they do, you cannot effectively apply a solution. You can't apply the right solution unless you assess the problem correctly. Again, if you think about a personality disorder, well, the idea is if you have a personality disorder, then things really can't get better. It's just something that you have to manage. So how safe do you think that that makes a wife feel? Not very safe at all. So I think about the behavior. So I, I wanna go through some of these behaviors here. 
just so everybody's on the same page. And there's lots of different blog posts and articles and there's so much of it that overlaps. So, but the, the key ones that I wanted to draw out are a, a few of the indicators of this is the uh, first one is a lack of emotional support. Second one is somebody who disrespects boundaries where there's blaming grandiose feelings of self-importance struggle struggles with feelings of depression or anxiety emotional manipulation a lack of empathy and a constant need for validation from other people so these are just a handful and when i was having a conversation with that that man i said the key is to recognize that all behavior makes sense in context all behavior makes sense in context. What do I mean by that? And I use this example of, I said, imagine being in uh, an event, let's say, I don't know, like, or, or in a classroom somewhere. And I said, imagine you're in a classroom sitting next to somebody and you have this, you, you pulled out this coin from your pocket and you're looking at this coin because you're trying to figure out how much money you have in your pocket. So you grab everything that's in there and the coin falls out of your hand and it hits the floor and it makes this little ting sound. Imagine sitting next to somebody that when they hear that little ting sound, they immediately jump off of their seat and dive under the, ta under the table next to you. If you didn't know any better, you'd think like, what's wrong with this person? Why would they just like dive under the table and you see them shivering and sweating? Like that seems really, really weird. If you didn't know any better, it's just like, what's this guy's problem? But if you then have a conversation with him afterwards and, and, and he shares with you his story and says, I was in Vietnam and that sound that, that the coin made when it hit the floor sounded exactly like a grenade pin hitting the floor. Now it makes sense why he did that. It makes sense why you dive under the table when otherwise it's just, okay, it's a coin hitting the ground. What's the big deal? All behavior makes sense in context. That doesn't mean all behavior is acceptable though. So I think about these different uh, indicators of what it, it, so all of these different symptoms, when somebody, when the, when you have a collection of all of these symptoms, that's when somebody then applies the label of narcissism. And I think the, the label is so generously and, and, and significantly over applied. It's almost like a, a like a buzz phrase now where it's like, uh, you know, if somebody's selfish, if somebody needs a lot of validation well they must be narcissistic so again i so going back to this this uh, conversation that i had i said this makes sense right if, if the, the the coin hits the ground it reminds him of the past where he was in danger it makes sense now why he would do what he did what he does it's very very similar when somebody exhibits some of these behaviors and i want to go through a, a few of these behaviors to give you a different look at why somebody might do these things because again, recognizing the root cause is how this can actually change. I remember sharing another story, or there was another story about, uh, again, putting this in a context in the same conversation with this husband. I said, imagine being on a white, white water rafting trip and you fall out of the boat and somehow you end up underneath the boat. So I wanna go through three different examples. I wanna go a little bit deeper into three different of these like symptoms and share with you maybe a different way to consider looking at this instead of it being a reflection of somebody's mental deficiency and this personality disorder there's a different way to look at this which can actually open up a path 
to creating change. Because if you can properly assess why somebody is doing what they do, once you address the root cause of that, the behavior can then take care of itself. So the first one that I want to dive into is the, the lack of empathy. So if you're in a relationship with somebody, if a wife is in a relationship with a husband, and this goes both ways, by the way, I just, just for a uh, shortcut, just for brevity's sake, I'll just use husband and wife in this example, in all of these examples. So if you're in a really, if a wife is in a relationship with a husband who has a lack of empathy, where when she opens up and shares her pain, her husband then turns the tables on her and blames her for how she's feeling, blames her for his actions and why he did what he did when she tries to share her hurt. That's a, that's a devastating situation if that happens, especially if that happens over and over and over again. So being in a relationship with somebody who doesn't display empathy, that really, really hurts when you're trying to build a bond with them and have trust towards them and have a foundation and build a life with them. If you can't open up and share how you're feeling and have the other person respond with compassion, that's a problem. I remember working with somebody, a couple, where the husband, there was some infidelity on the husband's side. And anytime his wife brought up how much she was feeling scared and how bad she felt and tried to have a conversation with him to get some support from him, he immediately would shut down and avoid having those talks and then blame her for it and wouldn't want to have any conversations and would just kind of walk away. And naturally what happens is when you, when somebody's in pain and they try to share their pain with their spouse and the lid goes back on it, the pain doesn't go away. It's like sweet. It's like you have a jar, you open up the jar to try to empty the contents. But then if somebody puts the lid on immediately and you've got this toxin in the jar, it stays in there. And the nature of emotional toxin in other, or, or pain, right? I guess, I guess what I'm trying to describe is the nature of emotional pain of betrayal of feelings of loneliness and low self-worth as a result of these experiences, when the lid goes on that, those feelings get amplified. They grow. It's like a petri, di petri dish in the jar. It grows. And so the next time a wife is reminded, in this particular couple, the next time she was reminded about the past and how she feels so alone and so hurt, she tries to bring it up again, but then the lid goes back on and it's just so devastating for her. So in a session with them together, so uh, this is, a, I guess, so let me share with you a quick uh, sidebar analogy. Imagining being on a whitewater rafting trip. If you're on the boat and you get knocked off the boat and somehow end up underneath the boat and you can't breathe, the way that you act under the boat is very different than how you act above the boat when you're sitting in the boat safely. If you're underneath the boat, you're not concerned with how everybody else is doing. You're not concerned with how your friends are in the boat. Are they having a nice, are they having a nice time? Are they safe? Is everything enjoyable for them? You're not thinking about that in those moments when you're under the boat. And the brain does that on purpose. And so if you are struggling and you're, you're, and you can't breathe, you're, all you're thinking about is how do I get out from my, It's like you're reacting on impulse. How do I get out from underneath this? And if underneath the water, you're flailing around and maybe there's somebody else beside you and you hit that person in the face because you're trying to swim, you're not really concerned with that. 
So linking this back to the example of the couple that I was working with, when I had a session with them, again, knowing there's more to the story, I wanna understand what that is and why somebody's doing what they're doing so we can help them. And we can help the spouse who needs the help and the support that they're not getting. So when I had a conversation with them together, I asked him, what's happening for you when she brings up her pain, what's going on inside of you? Because on the surface, she sees you walking away and shutting the conversation down and not wanting to talk to her. So what are you feeling? What's going on for you? How are you taking that when she opens up? And he said, when she tells me about her pain, I feel horrible about myself. I see myself as the biggest piece of garbage and I hate what I've done to her. And so anytime she brings up even a small hint of what happens, I immediately feel just terrible. And like I'm an awful husband, I feel completely inadequate. And that's the last thing that I wanna feel. I don't wanna feel like I'm a piece of garbage. And for him growing up, that's, that's this unresolved wound that he had, was he continually felt like he wasn't enough and he was a bad kid. And so when he grows up, that, that wound doesn't heal with time. And so anytime his wife would bring up her pain, he would go immediately back to that wounded place. And I said, well, that makes a whole lot more sense. If you start to think about a lack of empathy as a personality disorder, what else causes a lack of empathy? It, it's, not, it's not that there's something wrong mentally with this person. Shame causes empathy, a lack of empathy. Shame is one of the number one drivers for a lack of empathy. Shame is a, a, one of the biggest drivers that I've seen as I've worked with tons of people. Shame is one of the biggest drivers for depression, which is again, one, another one of the symptoms of narcissism, depression, anxiety. Shame causes tremendous problems for people and we react when we feel shame in a, in a similar way as if we are underneath the boat and we can't breathe. We do things that we otherwise would not do. And so I said, that makes a whole lot more sense to the husband. It makes sense why you would want to shut down that conversation if it reminds you of being like a horrible person. And so next, what I did was I said, can, can you tell her this directly? Can you share with her what's going on inside for you when this comes up so that she can get a better understanding because she takes it like you don't care about her pain, which I would too. I would take it as, well, my husband doesn't, my spouse doesn't want to talk to me. I'm struggling. I need some support and anytime I open, open up, he shuts down and doesn't want to talk. I would take it in the same way. He doesn't care. I'm all by myself. Who, who am I married to? All these questions would flood in. So I said, can you turn and tell her right now what your experience is when she brings up her pain? And he did. He turned and said, this is where I go. And he repeated all of what I just said. And for her, it was the biggest light bulb moment for her. It was this like, I had no idea that you felt so bad because he never disclosed that. He never displayed feeling bad. Rather, he displayed anger and frustration and like, oh, are we talking about this again? Why do you keep bringing this up? And so she never got the sense that he felt bad about this because he reacted in, in that type of a way. So when he shared with her, I feel horrible about this. I want you to feel better. I want you to heal. I just don't know how to do that. It was the biggest light bulb moment for her, which then opened up a path for them to do it differently. Because then what you do, again, this goes back to the proper assessment. If you think about it as a personality disorder, okay, you need medication. That's not the issue. If somebody lacks empathy, 
the first place I go is, is there shame? And if there's no shame, what else is driving this? And then we can open up a path to then get the person the tools and the support that they need to heal on a deeper level. Because for this particular husband, what we did next was we did shame work. And we helped him change how he saw himself. And we helped him get new beliefs about himself, which then enabled him to be there for her differently. Because when he didn't see himself as a bad person anymore, he could then have those conversations with her. He could then be with her in her pain without getting absorbed in his own pain and making it about him. So I guess in my head, as I share all of this with you, I can hear maybe some people saying, well, that sounds like you're giving him a pass. If you just kind of explain his behavior away, you're giving him a pass. I, I hope that you don't take it like that. My hope is that you actually take it the other way. That it's not a pass at all because that's not my intention. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a call to take more responsibility. Because there is something that you can do to change. And it takes the work and the focus on the right thing. But I want to share this with you in a way of helping people take more accountability for the actions. By then addressing the underlying issue so that then they can change. My whole goal is to help simplify this process because it's so it feels so complicated and overwhelming and there there's so many layers to this but the simpler we can make this if we can assess this properly it then helps you take more responsibility to then take to, to then to then create change just like this husband did once he recognized this is what's driving this we then got to work towards solving those underlying issues which then took care of the behavior itself and again, just to be clear, these behaviors that people describe as narcissistic personality disorder, such as this emotional ma manipulation, violating boundaries, that like these behaviors are unacceptable. They can't happen in a relationship if you want to have safety and security and trust. And so when we're going over these things, please know that this is not okay. Even if it's being driven by woundedness or underlying limiting beliefs or emotional blocks or lack of skill, even though there's a reason for these behaviors, they're still not okay. My goal, again, is to help give you a different look at why somebody does this so that then you can take action to change this. There's one particular person who would use this, these behaviors of guilt tripping and gaslighting and other ways of trying to get what he wanted, blaming, turning the tables. So, this particular person had simply a lack of skills and emotional regulation. So the more they uncovered, why do they do this? What are they trying to, by trying to get their way, by using these strategies that didn't work and caused more damage that weren't okay, there's a reason for why he was doing that. And for this particular person, the underlying reason was when he was growing up, he didn't have parents who were emotionally responsive. He felt like he had to fend for himself constantly. He felt like nobody had his back. He didn't have a safe place. So he learned, okay, if I'm going to get my way, it's going to be through lying. It's going to be through deceit. And I'm going to have to put myself first and manipulate situations in a way that helped him to get his way. So that was the strategy that he developed when he was young. And that strategy stuck with him throughout his life. 
And that's what happens when people develop these strategies when they're young. And if they don't get a replacement strategy, they keep doing what they're doing, which causes a lot of pain and harm with the people they're in a relationship with. But if that person doesn't have any other way of doing it, they're going to lean back on the same strategies that have worked in the past to get what they want, even though it comes at such a cost to people who are in a relationship with them now. And with this particular person, again, there was there are these beliefs of not being not being important, not being enough, not being worthy. And so anytime they didn't get what they wanted, or if their needs were being overlooked, it reinforced that same old fear of I'm not important, I don't matter, I'm not enough, which then as a result of that pain, they would react in negative ways and cause more damage. It's just this big cycle. And so these skills of being in a relationship, of being able to communicate effectively, of putting somebody else first because you're okay and you have the confidence that you're going to get your needs met as well and it's a give and take if you grow up in a household where there isn't that and you're not and that's not modeled to you you to then develop it's i remember okay another analogy another example here i remember i had a really good friend who was messing around and he did a backflip just to kind of showing off to different you know this other group of people and when he landed he he impacted his knee something damaged his knee and he didn't go and see a doctor for a long time and his knee was really, really bothering him. And as a result of the pain, he started to walk a little, he had a limp. And then as a result of the way that he was walking, he injured his back. And so I feel like this is such a, a really good parallel for how people grow up on an emotional level. If you don't, if there's something that needs attention, if there's some underlying issue and you don't feel like you're worthy, you don't feel like you have a place, there's no security. If you grow up as a kid in a household like that, you then have a comp, you have to compensate. That doesn't justify it, that doesn't make it okay, but it makes sense why they would do that. And so with this particular person, the outcome then became, we need to help them develop the skills to be in a relationship. What are those skills? It's, like I mentioned earlier, communication, it's being able to tolerate, it's emotional regulation, tolerating disappointment, being able to navigate rejection in a healthy way and respond to that in a healthy way. It's being able to effectively ask for your needs to be met without having to manipulate a situation. You can then have different conversations with your partner. You can be a different person when you have different skills. And so when this person developed those skills, they were able to approach their spouse in a very, very different way because they addressed why they had been acting the way that they had in the past and that opened up a path for their relationship to heal. The last one that I wanted to go into, which I'll just touch on very briefly, a constant need for validation and attention. Again, on the article it said, these narcissists may have a constant need for validation and attention from others. They seek out praise and admiration or may become angry or resentful if they don't receive the attention that they feel like they deserve. Again, I, I look at this through the lens very much so again of a sense of not being enough and shame. If you feel like you're not a good enough person, and if you feel like you're, so you, uh, there's an, a sense of inadequacy, and you're not, no matter what you do, it's not good enough. It's you're going to compensate, and the and and the pendulum is going to swing so far to the other side. We're we're going to continually need to know and to hear that we are enough. We're going to continually seek out validation that I'm worthy, that I that I'm okay, which again so often is done in negative ways that it creates a wedge in a relationship. And so what do you do? What do you do with this? If you're in a relationship or if you 
recognize, you know, if you've ever heard this label of narcissism and, well, maybe I have this or maybe I'm married to somebody who has this, how do you navigate this? So in each of the examples that I've shared, once you identify the root cause of this, then you can actually take action towards resolving this. Again, this is a call for greater responsibility so that you can change these dynamics and ultimately have the relationship that you want to have without these destructive behaviors in it. Though they might make sense, in context they make sense, but they're still destructive and there's no place for them in a relationship if the goal is safety and security and love. And so my hope as you listen to this is that you can reflect on when you are having interactions in your relationship that are ineffective and unhealthy, that you can take some time. My encouragement would be to start with one of them. What's one type of interaction that you have that causes damage, that doesn't work? And have a conversation with your spouse and say, this is what I notice when this behavior comes up, this is how it affects me. I want to understand what's going on for you. Or if the husband brings this up, hey, I recognize that I do this thing. I want to share with you more about why. As I've reflected on what what situations uh, when this behavior comes out, this is what I'm noticing. These are what some of the underlying things are. These are my, conce- my concerns or my fears or my hurts. And I end up acting out in this way. Now you can start to have a conversation in a way that opens up solutions instead of creating more walls, more distance, more tension. Now, what do you do if you're in a relationship? So that's what you do if somebody's willing to change, right? So so how, so how? what do you do? If somebody's willing to take these steps and acknowledge, hey, these behaviors aren't working for us, you can work on it in that way so that then you do the work if somebody's willing to change. If a wife expresses her emotional pain and there is no softening for the husband. The husband doesn't is still stuck in those protective behaviors of defensiveness and avoidance. That's all protection that just doesn't work in, in a relationship. So if you share how you're being affected and the struggles that you're having and the support that you need, and there's no response, there's no emotional response, there's no softening, there's no willingness to work on this, then understandably most women end up putting up a wall which creates more distance. And emotional walls lead to feeling stagnant and distant. So often it's in this place that many people come to me and report, I've fallen out of love with my spouse. I don't really feel the same way towards them, which makes sense. If you take if you take a, an ember out of a fire, the ember cools down. So if you're not feeling connected and safe and loved and close, that's how you generate, it's a a circular pattern. You, You have experiences where you feel loved and safe. It generates and perpetuates feelings of closeness and excitement about a relationship. When that gets walled off and stifled because the distance that's there, then it leads to people feeling less love more resentment, and ultimately people many in, in many situations end up, the relationship ends up breaking up, which is, not, which is not how people envision it when they start. And so when this wall goes up to protect, it makes sense because if she can't rely on him for protection, she then needs to rely on a wall for protection. So if you're hearing this and if that's your situation, it's tough and, and, and the wall is there for good reason. The hope is that 
there is a softening that as you have these conversations and you share, hey, I'm struggling. I want to work on this together. I want us to be different. I want to have a better relationship with you. Or you share with them resources to consider, hey, can you listen to this podcast? Can you read this article? Can we talk about this together? And if it's framed in a way of, I want our relationship to grow versus you have a problem, you possibly have narcissism, you need to take a look at this, it's a very different conversation. And still, even when you share vulnerably, that conversation might still not be responded to well because of the emotional blocks inside of the other person, which again leaves you in this kind of holding pattern. And and, and that's my hope is that you're not there. But if you are, it's being able to kind of weather the storm with as much personal protection as you can Again, that's not the ideal situation. And so my hope is that if you're listening to this, you're in a relationship where there's a willingness on some level to do some work because if there's a foothold, then we can work with that. So that would be my encouragement is to have those conversations this week, have one of them and pick something where you can have a conversation to better understand what's driving it, which then opens up a path ultimately to resolve it. So you can move forward with closure, having a different type of relationship together. If you've been wanting to overcome pornography for a long time, but you've struggled because you haven't had a customized game plan for your specific situation, then I'd love to help. I take on a few new clients every month and I work with them in a 12-week process to resolve the underlying issues that have led to their behavior. So by the end of the 12 weeks, you can be in a completely different place, feeling free and confident. And I give everybody that I work with a guarantee that if you don't completely overcome your struggle with pornography in those 12 weeks, then I'll work with you for free until you do. I'm with you to the end and you have nothing to lose. So if this sounds interesting to you and you wanna be done with this problem in the next 12 weeks, then go to the website stopporn.info and you can get some more information there.